official sliding on the instrumental Nordic combos, twist your mental like forbidden Peace to the public and power to the people Thank you first of all for pulling up to this space where the vulnerable are powerful and the most gangster thing you could do is serve. This is the All The Way Live podcast. Without doubt, it is indeed the All The Way Live podcast and what we do here on a weekly basis, my brother Miles Xavier and I is give you guys that carefully curated content for your cranium. We do it consistently, and this week ain't no different. We're back from a two-week hiatus. You know, we, we, we've been able to uh, take a break from the show after doing 77 episodes, bro. Yeah, man. We getting good at this thing. <laughs> evidently. Evidently. And um, it's without reason that we only do this for one purpose and one purpose only, Miles, is that we come here, we dedicate our energy, we dedicate our time, um, we we make sure we come here with intentional positivity and we do it for the because we know people are going through it, man. We know people are really going through it in the sense that mental illness is at an all-time high. Um, loneliness is at all-time high. Depression. People are really struggling going through real things, man. And we curate a space of positivity, you know, just so that you can have some of that energy, come over here, get some information that you can sound smart around your friends with, uh, and go back into your day. You know, that's what we do it for. And this week ain't no different. No doubt. No doubt. Appreciate you, bro. You already know what's going on, man. Chicago is in the building. Exeter is in the building. Appreciate you holding it down. You just finished finals in that, huh? I did just finish finals, brother. I'm a free man. Ah uh, man, how you feel? How you feel? I'm 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 honored to be in here with a with a double masters. I mean, look, there's still some way to go. I still got a dissertation to write, but uh, very soon it definitely will be a second masters. It, it feels good. It feels good. I'm more than excited to be back doing this type of thing and uh, helping people. Ah uh, man, and as as family, I'm excited. That's this is in funds management, right? So I'm gonna need you to manage some funds it's gonna it's gonna be wonderful my brother's an accountant uh and you over here as my brother are, are managing funds it's amazing i feel blessed to be in y'all's company exit is in a building in a big way but also chicago's in the building in a big way this podcast is recorded on stolen land this land was cared for by the potawatomi people the council of the three fires that's the first nation people we acknowledge that because the violence done to remove them from this land is inseparable from the violence that we see in this city today, this country today, and this world today. So we lift up, ooh, we lift up love for indigenous people the world over. We lift up love between black and brown people the world over. And now the intro's over, and we're gonna get into the show. We got content for him. We got content for him. This week, our producer, who we have to give a shout out to. Our yes, producer. sir. Hey, man, we can't do the show without you, bro. Can't do this thing without you. You've given us some great topics to be able to break down. We're going to be covering what's happening in the YSL case. We're going to be covering mass shootings that are going on. We're reviewing Kendrick Lamar. There's so much content. So if you're there and you're live, make sure you're jumping into the comments. Make sure you're commenting. It is a live show, so we engage with you guys, man. Um, without further ado, Mr. Vaz Xavier. It's game Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out line. Yeah, 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 I get that, I get that, but is we live, though? 
is we like all the way live though. You heard? Our favorite thing to do here at the show is highlight is highlight impact and it's to highlight art. The Live House family knows exactly what that means. That is because we are where impact meets art. And this week we are more than happy to be able to spotlight some dope artists, Malik Roberts of Brooklyn artists doing some super dope content. Yeah, man, it always feels good when the homies pass you to Oxcourt. We're doing something a little bit different, a little bit new. Our first artist spotlight. We wanted to highlight a visual artist, and uh, you know, for the for the producer, for my boys, way to pass me the cord and let me throw somebody up that I think is doing some dope things that feels amazing. So I wanted to show you something dope. Uh, Malik Roberts is an artist who makes uh, work that's kind of collage reminiscent, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? There's there's overlays of, of patterns, but what, what I think is really fire about it is that it really accentuates some of the... Um, I don't know, some of the characteristics of, of, of black folks, uh, noses, lips, arches of eyebrows, bone structure, uh, in, in ways that aren't typically appreciated. And, and to me, that's, that's fire. Hey man. And we're going to get a picture of it up very, very soon. What I dig about, what I dig about black art these days is how, everyone is being is open to collaborating. Like you're seeing how the museums and the galleries are opening up spaces, there's new um, residencies that are available. So you have artists who are now able to travel the world uh, doing all this super dope art being funded for it, just given the, the liberty to be able to create, you know? And so when you see some of Malik Roberts work and how he's been engaging with the Brooklyn community, how he's been engaging with uh, uh, the, the New York scene and how it's been coming up. It's super dope. And I'm sure we're going to get a picture up on it real, real soon. But it's all good, man. Like, it's, 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 it's amazing to see him shine and flourish in this day and age where, I don't know, I don't, it's, uh, it's, it's dope to see, like, I found him on Instagram. And for that to be a platform where somebody who's painting can really, like, build and take off. And then I recently just came across on YouTube, like, a video that was show just showcasing his work. Uh, we'll throw that in the description. But it was just him. It was like an interview, but it was deeper than an interview. It was like a well-shot production showing some of his paintings, like letting him explain, him getting in mode, and to be able to capture that of an artist. Like I just, I just love what some of what social media and some of what um, YouTube and these these the access to to share is doing for these these creatives. That's that's my favorite thing, like being able to find artists through these social media platforms. And you know, traditionalists in art in the art space will tell you like uh traditionalists in the art space will tell you like, nah, you cannot YouTube is forbidden. You know, everybody wants to be in in that one gallery that nobody knows about that's a hole in the wall busy showing an exclusive artist that you've never heard about but he's so expensive but like i don't believe in that i don't believe in that i think what's dope is dope like if you're if you're seeing something on instagram and it's cool then so be it pinterest for me i've been finding artists through pinterest like straight up <laughs> just feeding my pinterest algorithms and catching some cool artists and if i dig it i'll get it Wow, I did not know that I needed to follow my homie on Pinterest. 
we could do that. I got to download Pinterest first, but you putting me on. You put me on. If there's if there's incredible art like this being put up there, then I want to be there. Uh, and man, like I don't know. I I I. I well, how does this make you feel, man? Like just as the as the image we got right now. Like, what are some of the vibes you get from it? I I dig it. You know, my favorite type of art, I'll say, is definitely contemporary African art. Contemporary African. So. I, I always enjoy the specifically the black body, the black female body to be even more exact is to me a, a really high form of art, you know, which is why I've got so many tattoos of black women on my body. <laughs> you're, you're consistent, no doubt. <laughs> um, all to say, so the type of art I like is definitely in, involving the black figure. So when I see Malik Roberts and a lot of his style is, it is quite contemporary in that sense. Um, really playing off of if you're familiar with the old school like uh, Picasso uh, interpretations of portraits and stuff. It's it's some cool it's some cool stuff, you know. There's some other artists also. If you're like Nelson Makamo in South Africa, who's um, it, it would be the most let's say prominent and the most famous one, you know, doing super super dope stuff. We highlighted Kahinde Wiley a few weeks ago, who did the portraits of. Obama uh, went to go see his show at the National Gallery in London. So there's a, a dope scene of, I would say, prominent Black artists that are coming up right now. Nah, no doubt. It sounds like we got more artist spotlights to come, man. Appreciate you sharing a little bit of your expertise. I know you're a connoisseur of uh, creativity like this. So once again, it's dope to be able to spotlight Malik Roberts. Uh, Livehouse Productions bring you that fire. Yeah, and, and you know, I think this is a cool place for us to even, like, have a combo about, like, what, where we want to take this art stuff. Like, why is the live house, this live house uh, thing that we're doing, like, why does it involve art and impact? And I think that's because that's true to us. Like, we are, we care about this stuff, you know, we're, we're invested in artists, invested in contemporary African artists specifically, and that world brings us a lot of joy, so... Being able to highlight this type of stuff, dude, this is the coolest thing I do all week. Yeah, because it's fly, bro. It's fly. I don't know about you. Whenever I see art that really moves me like this, I like to picture it in the crib. I like to think about, man, I might throw this one up in the living room, you know, be able to support that artist for real, for real, right? So, and that's another dope thing about these apps. And like, when you look at art in a gallery, it's like, wow, they're creating some really amazing stuff. And shout out to all the up and coming black artists that are getting that look. But when you see something on Instagram, you might be able to DM the person. Can I get a print? Can I commission something? You know what I mean? I love that accessibility as well. So, man, it's, it's yeah, it's dope on many levels. The funny thing about, the funny thing about art too, especially, you know, when you hang around galleries and, and whatnot, uh, it, there's a bit of a, a tendency to speak quite highly on the art, you know, you, you want to speak quite, uh, you, you want to act like, you know, you know, art talk, you know, how, how people talk, but anyways, I, I feel you. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to leave you hanging. That's a real thing. Like if it don't move me, I can't talk about it. Cause I'll be saying some nonsense like, Oh yes. The angles. Mm. <laughs> so, so, uh, there's an artist whose work that I saw and was super, super, deep you know was this black lady hanging from a tree you know um ayana jackson ayana v jackson one of my favorite artists and she had this very powerful image of this black 
body and it was hers and it was oh so spectacular you know and i spent a lot of time just dissecting this this image and and just standing by it and just interpreting it right and i had the pleasure of meeting ayana b jackson and um as when i was so excited to meet her she comes up and i go you know this painting of yours to me it represents the black body of the black woman that is hanging from the oppressions of and i just keep go i i, I go deep in the dire tribe for her to look at me she goes i like that explanation better yeah <laughs> i'm gonna use yours and i just found that so funny because it's um it really is open for interpretation and um it was a, from that point on i was just like i love i'm just gonna like things because i like them you know i'm not gonna try and be too philosophical about art i'm just gonna like them because i like them that's real that's real and uh for more things that you can like comment and subscribe to hang out with live props productions man more art yo coming your way <laughs> and we want to want to spotlight also on the comment section. We got Delante in the comment section. It says Pope Francis looking at Malik Roberts handing a picture over to Pope Francis. That's right, bro. He is indeed hanging handing a picture over to Pope Francis. Yeah, black excellence. Speaking of black excellence, man, there was some uh, some of our most prominent stars got caught up and embroiled in what is otherwise known as a RICO case, YSL. Slat. When a young black person becomes successful. A lot of people get fed. And it's a lot of families that get fed off of that in some ways in this country because the disparity uh, is, is creates, makes wealth so rare that we have a certain way of spreading it. Right? And um it's really unfortunate when somebody who feeds a lot of families uh, is no longer able to do that. Um, so, with that in mind, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a conversation about Young Thug's label YSL, um, the situation that that they're experiencing, but also a broader conversation about. Um, the way hip hop is criminalized, the way that the relationship between hip hop and the police in a much broader sense. Um, but whenever somebody is facing, fighting uh, the prospect of being, you know, embroiled in the in the mass incarceration system, um, that sucks. And um, so hold your head to Doug, Donna, and the rest of YSL. I'm glad you I'm glad you introduced it that way because a lot of people are affected by this. You know, this is Thug's favorite artist. We know our producer specifically said, Man, my week has been messed up because of what's happening. So the hip hop community is impacted by it. So for you to open up that way, I think it's appropriate. I'm asking you to check your mic settings in the meantime. I think they might be just make sure your mic is working on. Right. Um, so specifically if we are just giving the people a background 
Um, Young Thug and Gunner were arrested last week. Uh, it was a 88-page indictment. Uh, they named 30 of the YSL members, and they said that this was from a case that was trialing as far back as 2013. Um, they were uh, they were they were indicted under the RICO Act, which is stands for essentially just like racketeer influenced and racketeer influenced and corrupt organization. Um, it was it was the law that was started way back to essentially capture um, mobsters, you know, it was the, the law that was introduced to capture mobsters. Yeah, um, definitely designed for organizations where the power structure keeps, keeps certain people at the top from being touched by uh, law enforcement um, because they're, I guess, puppeteering a whole bunch of crimes, right? It's it's unfortunate and really ironic in some ways to see it be turned back against um, groups like YSL with, like, the double layering of, like, oh, they're a gang now, right? Like, I never, I never thought... The only thing I got YSL confused with was the, clo- was the clothing brand. You feel me? Like, as a record label, I never thought of them as a gang i never and for and for that to be the understanding in the culture for that to be the it, it just it's it feels like part of this is a product of success for certain artists it doesn't feel like there's parody to hold other artists outside of hip-hop accountable for their lyrics in the same way well you're right. And there is there has been a long history of the hip hop police, you know, stemming way far back from public enemy days. And it's been it's not even like a myth or a conspiracy anymore. They are police that are specifically targeting hip hip hop groups. And you've seen this happen to Bobby Schmurda. There's something that's been happening a lot more in New York, actually, which actually which is why the make which is what makes this particular case stand out even more is that that's not necessarily the same type of indictments that you'd see in like your Atlantis. That's, this is, this is usually a, a New York thing. Casanova, uh, Schmurders, Takashi was a Rico, um, 22 G's. That's a Rico. You know, they're, they really are locking people up like that. So it's, it's, it's different in that way. And also you see the Atlanta mayor saying that that's exactly what they want to do. And so when you look at how long they've just been allowing them to operate since 2013, they say that wiretaps, they say that whatever, it gets prickly. And so their situation is actually quite serious. There is no there is no way to sugarcoat it. People don't usually make it out of a Rico like that, you know, uh, time will undoubtedly, almost undoubtedly be served just based on the conviction rate of the DA when it comes to a Rico case. You're talking a 99% conviction rate, meaning they don't, they don't, they'll wait 20 from 2013, nine years to build a case. And uh, that's essentially what they have unfolding over here. Yeah. It's, it's been a long time. They have audio recordings from from a minute back. Um, but it's actually Georgia State that's that's conducting the RICO investigation. So typically when you think of that 99% conviction rate, you're thinking of the government, of the, the federal government. 
Um, when the feds come after you, they typically got you. Um, from what I understand, a lot of times when the state comes after you, uh, there's often enough evidence for a federal investigation. And sometimes the state investigation, which may not have the same conviction rate, can drain you of your funds in advance of a federal indictment, right? So it's a really it's a really tough situation. Um, and to me, I'm, I guess the bottom line for me is that it definitely feels like predatory. Uh, I think it feels... It's, there's so many layers at which artists like get messed over from the label to actually have to come from the circumstances that they come to and then to be particularly targeted by groups of police, right? You named a whole bunch of RICO investigations that we've seen in hip hop. DJ Drama, who prior to his RICO investigation had no prior indictments, right? Was uh, the subject of a RICO investigation for making mixtapes. Right? Like, for literally for making mixtapes, right? Uh, they raided his property and seized nothing but mixtapes. Like, <laughs> look at what look at what people are, are getting arrested over and, and facing life in prison over. Now, there are some serious allegations in, in the midst of this indictment. And what RICO means is that any crime they can prove happened or was or that anybody within the investigation was a party to, uh, anybody within that party can be held liable for that crime, right? So when you take 28 individuals, right, surrounding two individuals that are very successful and investigate 28 individuals to see if you can find any crimes that you can hold that entire group accountable for, um, and it's a group like YSL, which has what what I know for sure is a track record of 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 helping people and feeding people and giving back, which we've seen a lot of come out in the midst of this, which might be the only silver lining. But man, well, you also like you said, helping people and uh, giving stuff back is something that both these gentlemen do at large in their communities. Both have uh, a profound presence in their um, in their support for their cities. Gonna created a store where um, I think it's uh, families of uh, single single household families can go in there and do groceries nearly free, uh, planning a development for a whole almost community within Atlanta that would subscribe to that, to that model. So, and Doug was also very, very active in helping school kids and all that type of thing. So these, these you're right. These are people that uh, do feed a lot of other people around them. So one of the main things that the, these two particular rappers are going to get indicted upon is their lyrics. So they're using their lyrics in from their songs and their social media specifically to be able to build this case around them. And there's some quite damning things that have been said that could infer into cases that actually happen. So when you say it's predatory, it is predatory, but also at the same time, if, if the allegations are true, um, these are also cases where somebody else was injured, murdered, livelihood put at risk. You know, there are other people who are on the other spectrum of the adverse effects that are alleged to be true. So it's a predatory for sure. But also if you are carrying out what you're doing from 2013 till now, rapping about it, um, putting it into tweets and being overt about it, then it's, it's, 
obvious that that's what happens. And you see, and and we're not taking this, we're not like, I don't want to like put this specifically on, on these gents, but you had the conversation that Wallow, uh, Wallow from the, from the Million Dollars Worth the Game podcast, speaking to Young Thug and very pointedly and very specifically um, was saying like, hey, yo, this is how this ends. And you've seen that happen time and time again with different OGs telling um, the younger up and coming folks like, hey, yo, this is what's going to happen. Calling it to a T. Fat Joe did the same thing with Takashi. It was a, to a T, you know, almost in the, in the, even almost in the time difference and when they did the interviews and how quickly it is that they got caught. All to say, uh, all to say, yeah, it's unfortunate that that's the case. And I, but I specifically do not agree with them utilizing rap lyrics and tweets and social media to indict the gentleman, specifically the lyrics. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Yeah, I agree. I think the issue is the systemic, is the ways in which we've con- we've created specific ways to go after these groups of people. Um, I think. Is it's it's messed up, and as as we see a quote from Metro Boomin, using song lyrics to indict folks is lame and a joke. These same lyrics have made billions for these corporations over the past decade. I'm waiting now to see who's gonna step up and use these same resources. Now the coin has turned. Uh, it's restricting one of the only ways that folks have managed to to navigate the system as it's constructed for them, I think is just particularly, uh, yeah, predatory. And I want to acknowledge the folks that, you know, when street shit happens, I'm, trust me, I know that that hurts people. Trust me, I know that that people feel that and that has deep implications for the communities that have to deal with that on the ground and not just in song lyrics, right? But I think when you... I think when you have an opportunity, you have to, you have to, you have to, to separate yourself from that, you have to do that. And that's an easy thing to say, but it's a very difficult thing to do, right? When you, when you come from a neighborhood, a community, a set of circumstances that is systemically built to keep you within that neighborhood, that community, that set of, that set of circumstances geographically in terms of income, socially, then even the few people that have an opportunity to break out of that is a monumental accomplishment. But to be able to separate yourself completely from that entire group of people in a lifestyle is damn difficult. Right. And so when you take a group of 28 people, which is what you're saying, like when you take the way that they're approaching this, when you take a group of 28 people and say any crime that any of them have done are attributed to all. I think you're exposing yourself for being more concerned with locking these people up than you are with actually preventing anything than you are with creating a system where none of what your alleging happened is necessary or occurs in these communities. That's why they'll stem out a case for nine years, 10 years. Um, in this particular case, almost 10 years worth of evidence, because there are many points in that 10 years where they could have stopped it, where they could have uh, uh, in really stepped in and changed the course of how that goes. But you're right. That's the predatory nature of the system is that they really want to let you in, fully incriminate yourself, uh, even if it's at the cost of other people's livelihoods or whatever the case is, and then they'll step in there. But specifically, 
on how they would utilize, um, like the Metro Booming quote over here, rap lyrics, uh, Jay-Z, Meek Mill, Big Sean, Fat Joe, a few other rappers uh, got together to push what is known as the rap music on trial bill, um, which they want to be, which they want to be let into a state law, which essentially would mean would make it unable for the court to use rap lyrics against um, against artists in court cases, which is something we're seeing an increasing rate of. This is why it's important to pay attention to stuff like that, and it's purposefully boring. Legislation and bills and all of that stuff is purposefully made boring, right? Purposefully made difficult to interpret. But that's why it's important to pay attention to stuff like this. It was like 30 episodes ago we did that show. We talked about in Maryland the first time that they they set the precedent where rap lyrics were included to indict somebody, right? And it's a it's a dangerous precedent to set and a precedent to set. And I'm glad to see that there are active individuals like Hove and Meek that are addressing that. Like, from their point of status, there's actually a Senate bill on that, on the floor. And yeah, man, nobody wants to read an entire Senate bill. You ain't got to read the entire bill, necessarily, but understand how this stuff can actually affect real-life situations. These are real people that are going to be locked up behind this, behind the art that they've created, behind making observations, behind trying to use what they see around them, the situations that they've been put into, to, to elevate themselves and to do something positive, really. So where does it end and how much are we going to start? How Where does this bleed super deep into the censorship conversation? The messed up thing about it, too, is that the best type of art is vulnerable art, is to, to limit, to, to put a limit on expression because you're in fear that you could, that could, could potentially be used against you in court is a ridiculous, ridiculous uh is a ridiculous thing to put on art it's, it's unfair like metro Boomin says here there are corporations that are making billions and billions off of this you know you would think they would be the first ones to jump out and to be able to protect the artists right so um you're right shout out to hove and the work that they're doing over there uh hove really is batman word hove i mean but that's Who's that's man? the name that's that's the nature of this of really doing the work is like your name is going to pop up if you really and it's going to pop up early right connected to the things that that really matter if you're paying attention so that's all man not, like, not to be too preachy not to you know it's a heavy situation hold your head to everybody involved but it's just pay attention man this stuff matters uh, people get caught up in it swept up in it sucks so free YSL, free YSL. We got more news to be able to get into because a lot has happened. Um, there was a shooting that happened in Buffalo. Our producer has asked us to cover it. Um, without further ado, with your permission, Miles. Let's go. Miles Xavier, uh, last week on the 14th of May, a uh, mass shooting happened in Buffalo, New York, um, at, a tops, uh, at a top store. Uh, was an active shooter, uh, domestic, a case of domestic terrorism, where we know that uh, 10 folks were killed, uh, most of them people of color. What, what do you have on the story for us? Um. 
I'm gonna keep it a whole like I'm gonna keep it real, bro. I don't really have a lot of notes. Um, I don't really have a lot of, you know, like bullet points that I really want to hit. Like on this one, it's really just acknowledging this moment, not letting it um, just pass. Right? Like I mean, when we have to, we have to let go of things. Like we have to figure out ways to cope, but. I think I'm just very uh, anti being desensitized to this, right? So just with intention in this moment, using this show, this space, and I appreciate you being a part of that. I appreciate everybody tuning in too. Just be like, yo, this happened. This hurts. Um, I'm confused, but I'm not confused. And I think, you know, just rest in peace to the folks involved. And it's hard not to imagine yourself in that situation, imagine your loved ones in that situation. So. Just to be human about it, bro, I think is is what I'm about with it. It feels like we're getting exposed to so much happening constantly that it really is hard to to care. It really, really is hard to care. And it's you almost feel guilty about it. Um because so you know, things just keep on popping up. So I'm I'm glad you're able to bring us to a place where we can take a moment to be able to acknowledge that in fact it happened. The sad thing is that it was mostly old people that were killed, you know, people uh, 65 and up. So people's grandparents, you know, that that's, that's what's so disturbing about this. Yeah, man. Imagine just living your whole life, like just everything that you've been through, everything that you've overcome, right? Like, even if you wake up with aches and pains as at an old age, like you still, you still getting up into the grocery store, right? And to be in that situation where somebody come and take your life at that point, like that's that's cold blooded. Like that's 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 hard to swallow, I think. Um, and that's such a vulnerable position, bro. Like I can't walk around and be on guard every time I'm trying to choose a cereal. I refuse to live my life like that. You know what I'm saying? I cannot be looking for between choosing between almond milks and be on the lookout for an active shooter. Like my brain cannot handle it. You know what I mean? And so I think that's the part where I am confused is I'm confused in terms of what do we do, bro? I don't think everybody should get a gun and be prepared for a situation like this to go down. Um, but I'm not confused in the sense of I know that we need to do a better job of addressing not even people's mental health, but addressing the way that people are being uh, when they're given signs that they're going to do something like this, bro. This man posted a whole manifesto. This man had a whole Instagram page. And I'm not saying like this, this conversation gets into censorship too, but it's also like, we got to have a way of monitoring that and just and determining, all right, well, this person is, has said, I'm going to go shoot some people, right? Like we should maybe investigate this and look into this. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's a lot. He has, he did say that, that he wanted to shoot people. And he was, he also had a situation at his high school where he um, said he wanted to shoot people and then the police were called and all of that. Um, so the tricky thing about monitoring is that it would have to infringe on, it, it would have to have the governments have its fingers deeper in how they view the way we utilize the internet. So it, it's that catch 22. It's like, how much anonymity do we want on how we use the internet and how much do we want actual like um, intervention in it? How much do we want monitoring of it? It's already being monitored right now, but it is difficult for them to be able to pinpoint 
these types of things apparently apparently Apparently, yeah yeah and you know i i i can understand that right i think the fact that we're in a weird place man he live streamed this event and it had 12 viewers on twitch which to me i can understand twitch not that not being a blip on their radar considering how many people are streaming at any given time right so it is really hard to hold them accountable they actually got it down within two minutes which i don't think is that bad i think within two minutes to be able to pull that joint down right like but at the same time we've even talked about on this show these social media platforms being aware and i'm like less i'm talking about monitoring individual behavior than being aware of patterns that they are um amplifying whether it's patterns within young women and the way that they see themselves and their body image and companies like uh, Meta knowing that it has a negative effect on women and girls, but not changing the algorithms to address that, to, you know, perpetuating certain types of uh, radicalization, uh, perpetuating certain types of of specifically radicalization around actual acts of violence that are being discussed, right? And so you're you're absolutely right, bro. It's hard. It's a double-edged sword in terms of who do we monitor, how deeply do we monitor. But my take is that let's take a look at the patterns that the way we engage in social media pushes people into and some of the effects of that. Right. Like, and we can maybe there's data that we can turn to to further understand why some of these things are happening. So there there is there's a lot of data on why some of these things are happening. Social media is is also a bit controversial in the sense that at least a lot of where these shooters become indoctrinated is on YouTube and on these uh, off on these off sites. Uh, on these off uh, dark websites where they can get some of this information. Um, the media's role, however, when we're talking about how the media covers so, uh, school shootings, is one of the few things that shows a correlation in active shootings. So, you know, it's 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 even hard for them to, to really determine if owning a gun, so uh, gun ownership. Gun ownership is not a does not actually show a correlation with active shooters, which means that um, the more guns that people buy is not a direct relate. It doesn't directly relate to how many active school, how many active shootings are happening, which is kind of crazy when, when you think about it, because that's always been the talk, right? Is that it's, it's the gun permissiveness and gun ownership that's adding to it. That being said, it it looks like you got a question. Well, I was just going to say, I think there's a difference between the more people buy guns doesn't mean there are more active shooters is different than if it's more difficult to get a gun in general, there wouldn't be less active shooters. I think those are two different kind of points. So so then that speaks on gun permissiveness, which is how easy it is for people to be able to get guns. And the data, which which... It's, you know, and it's important to be able to put a, uh, a caveat on it, which is that the data that they're trying to utilize is really looking to establish concrete correlations between an input and school and active shooting, breaking it down into different categories. Like there's an active, sh- uh, a mass shooting specifically means the 
the injury or death of four or more people. So in the U.S. currently, there's about seven of those a day, essentially, that happen. You know, so you kind of have to take it, take a, a wider look at, at what's happening. So when you say, so when we look at gun permissiveness, which is how easy it is to get a gun in a particular state, apparently that isn't a super strong, it doesn't have a, a, a conclusive correlation with the number of mass shootings that are happening on a on a daily basis. I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, right? Like if you look at Europe, where you can't, if you look at like a city like London, where you can't have a gun, probably less mass shootings. I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna put that out there. I don't have the data on that. I'm just gonna say it's prob- probably less mass shootings where you can't have a gun. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> but but I get it by on a state by state basis, right? Like because people we've seen obviously. Even in this case, people are willing to travel across state lines with their gun to commit these types of crimes, right? So I don't think, yeah, I don't think on a state-by-state regulating whether, like how tight the gun control laws stop somebody who's willing to go shoot up a school. But I think we can, we can understand how, how, what are the, like, how, how are we regulating how you get a gun, which means if you are of a certain age, if you are, if you have, you know, a certain background, we should be able to under, look into your history, medical, mental health, otherwise, and understand why you want a gun. It shouldn't be that easy, right? Especially an automatic weapon. We're not talking about like a pistol, right? You know what I'm saying? Like we're talking about body armor. <laughs> my chief, we're talking about my man went, my dad didn't go in there with a revolver. My man went in there like with with stuff that it should I feel like it should be more difficult to get even then even then right of all the mass shootings that are that uh happen the majority of them that happen are with pistols it's not even with these but but you're right in the sense that if this dude couldn't buy body armor <laughs> then you know civilians should not be able to purchase full blown yeah. body armor and maybe the security guard then could have stopped him, right? But then there's a there's a conversation about right, like, and I'm glad you kind of you you touched on this a little bit. Where mass shooting means a lot of things. Uh, a shooting that includes any more than four people can be something that happens on the street over an altercation, or it can be something like this, which is an event where it's not between two armed parties. It's one party that's armed that specifically went to go kill bystanders right and so i think it's probably much more difficult to find data on that specific type of incident i wonder why i wonder why we're not investigating it like that but i wonder because of who's doing it but i think if we i think if we look at <laughs> you finished finish, you finished off <laughs> your own question uh yes yeah, i don't have the i don't have the the subtlety i i want to have yet but i just you feel me? You you feel me, dog? Like it's just like it, it, this is a very specific type of thing that's happening. This was very clearly racially motivated. He said it. He said, "Don't get it twisted. I'm doing this because they're black. I'm going after the black ones." And if you got it confused, there's a video of him in the store where he points the gun at a white person and goes, "Sorry, my bad." <laughs> it keeps on moving. So disturbing. That's the most disturbing part of that of of, of all that, right? Um, but just to the racially mo- racially motivated 
this is this one is particularly racially motivated and it's unfortunate but the the issue that we're looking at with mass shootings are the icing on top of the cake of really what's leading to all of this and where the real numbers are get where the real numbers are right so if we talk now about uh felony related mass shootings you see that 57.1% of those are done by black people bro so like if we're looking at we we I don't want us to judge this racially motivated mass shooting that killed um, 10 black people when a lot of mass shootings are happening in black communities that are being done by black folks and are are ultimately taking the lives of other black folks, 57.1% of it, right? So, but but in all other areas, it's a, it's a different type of statistic, but still. I would, I would say that there are systemic reasons for that 51%. And that those that that violence is a result of the ways in which we've treated those communities, not invested in those communities, and strategically allowed enforced crime to only take place in those communities or takes place specifically in those communities, while other types of crime that we ignore, right, goes takes place in other types of communities. So we can do we can we can address systemic violence we can we can address why certain communities have higher rates of gun violence than others right and why those and why that violence is perpetrated by a very small group of people and that have been particularly set aside by society we address that in one way i think somebody who takes a automatic weapon into a grocery store is a different conversation that needs to be addressed a different way. And I think sometimes it's frustrating when a white person does something that is that that is objectively horrible and we somehow find a way to say Ooh, black people kill each other all the time. Okay, so so do something about that. Help me. <laughs> do, do something about that. We could address that, but at the same, but this is this is something completely different. We don't see black people running up in white neighborhoods and killing a whole bunch of people, innocent people in their grocery stores, and we damn sure don't see them walking out of it alive with the cops. Like, all right, man, you good? You're like, we go, hey, watch your head as we get you into the seat. So there's a disparity there, and it is specifically racial, and. But- I- I think we need to talk talk about it for what it is and not try and ob- obscure it by saying like, well, black people do it too. In, in grief, we in grief though, where there's room to be able to accommodate um thinking about other people that are also, you know, grieving in the same way. So in the sense that like you're right, it's a, you shouldn't it shouldn't be an automatic invitation for that thought to be like yeah black people are killing too it shouldn't be an automatic invitation for it but i think it's definitely allowed in the space of grief when we look at black folks being killed because it's the same type of thing at the end of the day it's the same bodies really it's black folks getting killed black folks getting killed it's not you you feel me i i i do in a way but i i i feel like i feel like we have built structures and institutions that like we have we have that conversation is being had right and i can understand the desire to connect to it 
But I think the conversation that we failed to address is why this is happening. Why why white people are doing things? Why white people keep shooting everybody? That didn't that no people that didn't do nothing. You know what I mean? Like I, I can understand I can look at the violence that takes place in black communities and understand that everybody is put at risk when somebody who is young and has a gun is willing to shoot up an entire house, an entire apartment complex, right? But I can understand that that's motivated by who lives there. There's a reason that they're into it with that group. There's a reason why they feel that territorial about their space. There's a reason why they're participating in an underground economy that they feel requires guns that they use as protection. They, why they feel like to uh, why they feel like to have a gun and to be able to address violence that somebody else is threatening them with first is seen as prevention to them. I can understand all of that about why this takes place in our communities because we have researched it. We've over-researched it, in fact. We've exposed these communities to so many pokes and prods and trying to understand why this happens. We just haven't done anything about it. We need to... We, there's a funding issue there. There's a... There's a there's an issue of investment and and to really a real desire to change it there, which is I think is fundamentally different than the issue of why white people are willing to shoot up grocery stores. And I don't think we've exhausted our research ability there. I don't think we've exhausted the conversation there. I think because we haven't done anything about this other issue, we continue to not investigate and interrogate why we are so willing to just let this continue to happen when white people do it and not assign it to anything systemic and not investigate it, interrogate or do anything about it. So there, there is some research about it, but it is inclusive. It is um, inconclusive. One of the things that they know for a fact about the type of people that do this are people that suffer, that people that have chronic frustration um, and are they externalize blame uh, frustration and failure commitment with diminishing ability to cope. So a diminishing ability to cope that stems from frustration and failure and uh, an externalization of blame is the biggest, biggest, biggest predisposing factor of the type of people that conduct these type of things. And I'll be real, bro. I ain't a psychologist, psychiatrist. I, I can't, I can't, I don't know how to, help those folks um and i and i will be the first person to say that i have dedicated damn near my life to one side of this issue and not the what's going on with these white mass shooters but i'm i think my frustration comes from like somebody get that side somebody do somebody do that over there we we do this over here we are we are we are trying we are there there are so many initiatives people uh uh ideas, ways of living and being and forming community that are trying to address this issue that I don't see being formed on the other side of it. And I, and I hope that we can find a way to deal with that frustration. Um, I suspect that in the racially motivated cases, it has a lot to do with a fear of being replaced, of, being, of not having anything that gives you status in society. Maybe that extends to beyond the racially motivated ones, right? It, I, I can I can try and empathize with that group of people, but I think where where my where my heart lies is we can't 
we can't we can't ignore it and we can't I just yeah to just to bring it back to a human place like I I I I I want to know that that's being addressed because that affects every single one of us. I have to I have a grandmother that goes to the grocery store. I got you going to the grocery store, man. I know you got to eat. I know you got to eat. You know what I'm saying? So imagine getting that call, bro. Imagine getting that. You're not on the streets of Chicago. My brother's not on the streets of Chicago, right? Like, like that, and, and, and in an unfair way, maybe that's how my people feel about me all the time because I am here. But now I, maybe that's, maybe that's that coming back on me is me feeling like I know y'all going to be in a grocery store minding your own business at some point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody get that issue. You know what I'm saying? Or a concert, or at school, I'm gonna have kids. You know what I mean? I know they're gonna be there for sure. Somebody get that. Hey man, you speaking to somebody that had a whole panic attack on a train, thinking about a shooter that's gonna be on there. You know, quite frankly, if I'm being honest with you, um, I love the U.S. I, you know, Chicago is my second home. I, I, all my my family and closest friends are all in the in the states. You know. I'm invested in the U.S. in activism and business and in, in almost every facet you can you can you can count, right? But being there is quite difficult for my mental health because I'm my anxiety in the U.S. is is higher than it is in most places. Word, word. I feel that. I feel that for and, reasons uh, like this. Yeah, word. I feel that, and and. All I can say, bro, is that we 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 form in community, right? Community to me creates safety. Um, knowing the people around you, like looking out for each other on very basic levels, um, and and yeah. So we're gonna continue to do that. We're gonna continue to build that. Uh, we having real conversations in this mug. You know what I'm saying? We really we really get into the heart of these issues, trying to make sense of all this nonsense um, that we see in the world. So. We appreciate y'all rocking with us, man. And um, that's current news, man. Yeah, man, we've been waiting a long time. We've been away a long time. There's one particular part of the show. You know, we, we spend miles an hour now. And we spend days researching topics and spend a whole hour having these very super deep conversations, brother. But for some reason, these last this last segment of the show is the one that continues to be what the people want us to give them. Hey, man. Look, ask and you shall receive. We are in this thing to give you what you want. Look, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Wow, wow, wow. Kendrick Lamar, five years. Y'all know, man. Y'all know what's going on, man. I don't know. I don't know. It's safe to assume that they already know. We don't. We don't really need to intro this one too heavy, man. Everybody was waiting on this one. We finally got it. Uh, Sway, did you run to it? Did you? Did you chill on it? What happened? How you? How you? Did you take this one in, brother? Hip hop stopped when this album dropped. Um, the hip hop stopped. Everything stopped. It was a complete moment of silence and anticipation when this album dropped what rarely rarely do we get 
a moment like that in hip hop. So I wanted to make it as hip hop as possible. I wanted to make sure that the setting and the scene was right, uh, being around the right people, the right type of aroma in the air, uh, really wanting to have a full immersive experience of this album. Kendrick is one of my favorite rappers. Last time Kendrick dropped an album, um, I was in Scotland, you know? So it's ironic now uh, that it would drop on a similar type of time, you know, it, it was a very, almost a full circle moment, if you will, for me going into this album. And listen, I did. Thoughts I had, notes I took. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you yeah, I'm over here with like bated breath. I'm waiting. I'm the suspense, yo. Um, but I'll I'll give him a little bit. Yo, I I took it in in a really dope way as well. I, I actually was in DC and I had just finished a conference, um, got a little grand money to investigate why black folks ain't getting crime victim compensation. When a crime happens to you here in the state of Illinois, you're entitled to compensation, money, moolah, but they ain't giving it up. So we're trying to figure out why. I was in DC on that little mission right there. Finished up this casual. Yeah, yeah. Finished up this conference and had two hours um, before my flight, which was not enough time, not nearly enough time at all. But I like took my bags, had to check out at 12 p.m., had to check out that thing. So I got my bags with me. Didn't care. I'm carrying them the whole two hours. Show up to the, uh, I get in the Uber from the hotel to the museum campus, which is only a few blocks away. So it was dope. Uh, so I hop, out the, I hop out the Uber. I know where I'm at now. I can see the museum. Incredible, incredible building. Super, super fly design. Uh, so I hop out and then I throw the album on, right? So as I'm walking up the lawn to the National African American History Museum, um, I'm playing the first couple tracks, United in Grief, right? Uh, and... I don't know if it's a better way to experience that this album than walking into the African-American History Museum. You know what I'm saying? He's getting into pain. And I think even the way the album is built, he starts at a kind of relatable, systemic, general level and gets real, real personal as it goes down. So to be listening to that more higher level part of it, walking through the museum, um, seeing images of some of the, the great accomplishments and astonishments of black folks throughout the years. Like even sonically, it was an incredible way to take in the album. The high energy of the drum pattern of the first couple songs, like, man, I'm 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 taking it in. As I started to go through the museum, it got deep on me. I took the headphones out at a certain point. You know, man, <laughs> I had to, it got real deep because it gets it gets there. The museum takes you there, and there's a certain um reverence, I think, respect that just like at a certain point, I'm listening to the album. I'm um, we'll get to how I was feeling about it later, but I was like, all right, let me take it out. Got back to the rest of it after the rest of the museum, which was amazing. We'll do we'll do a whole nother segment on that maybe. But got back to the album, finished running through it. Um, and it's deep, man. It's deep to the point of almost being not that enjoyable. But I don't think that maybe not that enjoyable should say that I don't think it's good because I think it's really good. But I think that might be how I'll start. You wouldn't be alone in that sentiment. Um, it's hard to really gauge how people are feeling about it. It doesn't seem to have the same type of uh, critical acclaim and, and just uh, general consensus. You know, since dropping uh, Section 80, if you ask me, Kendrick has dropped the, the best of what he can give. 
at each point. Maybe, you know, some people can argue that Dam was a step away from that. But um, that being said, coming into this one, I could see what you mean by this might, you know, not necessarily satisfying the whole um, enjoyable listen palette, but it is extremely impressive. It's extremely impressive. I was fortunate to listen to this around some DJ friends of mine who have incredible sound systems, you know, uh, just just the an, an incredible audio, a curated audio experience. Uh, so sitting back, listening to it, and, and really allowing the music to take in. And those first few tracks, the the depth in the sound, it reminded me of, Ye- of uh, Donda. The depth in the sound reminded me of Donda. There's just a, another, there's so many layers to the sounds that you're hearing when, you know, K-Dot puts this together. So when United in Grieve drops that 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 drum pattern that starts to that starts to kick in the intro with the piano, it's so theatrical, and it makes you realize that oh, this man is planning on doing a whole thing with this album. This I'm sure the live show is going to be incredible. Think about how some of these songs are going to sound live. That'll be incredible, right? But starting with United in Grieve, I think that sets the pace and. I enjoyed how this album started for a better part of the first couple of songs. And then it does take uh, a somewhat of a, of a turn, a turn for me. Yeah. And, and it takes, it takes a turn for me into one of the things I appreciate most about Kendrick is Kendrick has always been able to make music that was as fire to listen to as it is deep. And I think this is the first time where I think he was trying to go so deep that the musical quality of it, he's maybe fitting an extra word in or choosing a word that might not hit the ear for the because it need that's what needs to be said, right? And in that way, because I finished listening to it, I'm on the plane, right? I'm sitting there, I'm chilling, and as a Kendrick fan, I could feel myself wanting to like it. You dig me? Like I'm, I'm like. I'm like, okay, okay, this flow, this cadence, I know this flow, you know what I mean? And it's, and it just wasn't hitting for me in the way that I wanted it to. And I think that in some ways that's because of the beat selection he chose. There's not a lot of direct hip hop beats on this, even though that Alchemist joint with, uh, uh, what's it called? We Cry Together, that beat goes crazy. Uh, that whole song is a whole thing. But there's not a lot of straight up hip hop production on it. He leans into the production, I think, like from Damn, that was a little bit more popular, that stadium sound, a lot of that singing, you know what I mean? And to me, like, I think he's I think he's good at it because he's made songs that I like, like Yah, the track two on uh Damn. But it's not it's it seemed like to me, it was all the pockets of Kendrick that I like the least, but that he used to get off such important messages. So I'm conflicted the whole way through listening to it. Um, there were definitely Dang. bright spots, but I really think the the start of the album was the was the easiest and the part that I go back to, the songs that I find myself wanting to listen to again. Even uh, was- the Worldwide Steppers, woo! I, I messed with that joint. That joint is hard. Bro, that was that was well said. <laughs> that was brilliantly put. If I if I may uh, if I may compliment how you broke that down, I, you're so right. It's um, it's clearly very. It does want to be able to to shoot out a message at the specific 
content piece of a song. And when it doesn't do that, it does get into the pop aspect of it. Interestingly enough, all these pop features that are on here are features that I would on paper be ecstatic for. Summer Walker, you know I'm a massive Summer Walker fan. Um, so Summer and Kendrick coming together is super, you know, super exciting for me. I I I don't particularly enjoy how that panned out, so to speak. Um, same thing with Blast and uh, on on Die Hard. I like the song, uh, the pairing. I'm not too um, crazy about, but the Sanfa. So this Kendrick album, to me, as somebody that has grown up with this from Section 80, interestingly enough, is the most relatable Kendrick album to me from a content perspective. It's the it's the most I've understood, you know, and not even from. So in Good Kid, you you, you envision the movie. In Good in Good Kid, you envision the movie. In um, To Pimp a Butterfly, you you are you're watching the the theatrics of this live this live performance of this man stripping himself and his history naked, and then you go into Dam, and Dam is a, a poetry book that won a Pulitzer Prize. It's a, it's an introspective poetry book, right? And then you come into this and it's this man who is, who has found inner peace, who has found inner peace in how conflicted he is with himself through his success, right? So like just the concepts that he brings in from a meditative perspective, utilizing Eckhart Tolle, um, talking about some dope things, uh, talking about dope, um, Theories like the like new earth, like new earth theory, you know, these are these super enlightened concepts of what it means to to be able to break through oneself and be in the present, fasting, self-beauty off of that rich spirit. So the the mindset is is extremely familiar, even in the content, um, utilizing Eckhart Tolle. He mentions Oprah. In the thing, and you were laughing at me because I said I listened to Oprah, but here it is. <laughs> nah, you gotta get your Super Soul Sunday on. Ain't nobody, no hate, no shade at all uh, on the Oprah viewership. Uh, I just, it was, it was consistent. It was consistent. It was, I was surprised by the consistency, you know. But I appreciate that there's a lot of game being given out, apparently, uh, and I think that it is a lot of his success that elevated him to a place where. He could start to think about this and gather himself and think about his mental health. But I also think it seems like there's an element of therapy that was definitely uh, instrumental in that he's maybe not pushing, but he's illustrating or at least referencing the ways in which that's helped him understand himself. And it feels I've got a faint theme of like his girl being a big part of that, too, and, and their partnership. Um, I mean, it is the album cover, so I don't know if faint theme is the exact is exactly what I mean, but that was there too, I felt like. And it was uncomfortable in a lot of ways, right? And I think in some ways intentionally so. Um, but in some ways, I think it could have benefited sonically. To Pimp a Butterfly covered a lot of like a lot of content. And I hear a little bit of comparisons between that album and this one. But the jazz element that is all the way through to pimp a butterfly holds the concept together in a way that makes it easier to listen to even if you're it's a lot to digest i think this every beat every choice is what's needed to make the point exactly the way he wants to make it 
even if it sacrifices that continuity. And I think that can make it a little bit of ear fatigue. I appreciate that it's a double album because maybe it is easier to listen to one part of it and then the second part of it to take it in pieces. Uh, but it is it is undeniably lyrically. It does make you think. I think it does resonate. I think it puts us in certain situations. That Sanford joint, as you said, that straight no chaser uh, hook, man, that that is delivered beautifully. Uh, it's 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 and none of it is bad. None of it is bad. Like I I grew to like it more with kind of every listen, but it just never got to the point of. I'm excited to this, for this and I'm playing this every time I get in the car, no question, the way I felt about Good Kid, the way I felt about Pimp a Butterfly. So it's a little bit, it's heavy. It's real, it's real, real heavy. Um, and it, intentionally so, man. You, I would say that the every time I listen to it more, each time I listen to it again, it definitely gets better. Looking at the comments, uh, speaking of Oprah, Boy Delante says, Oprah taught me that if I ever live alone, I should only need to buy 13 items at the store. That's a fact. Shout out, o, Big O. Shout out, Big O. <laughs> Yo, that's fire, low-key. That's fire. All right, for sure. I'm sold. Super Soul Sundays. You got another viewer. I'm in there. Hey, man, I'm, in, I'm, I'm a part of a book club, too. You know, I'm, I'm doing all sorts of meditative stuff. We're, funny enough, I'm actually reading Eckhart Tolle's New Earth as we speak. That's actually part of the book club. So, like, listening to Kendrick approach these, um, uh, approach that sort of theme, you know, understanding where, um, at least having, uh, understanding the, the the inspiration of the content and where that comes from, it was it was real easy to see why he made certain um, musical decisions, right? It's a uh, each. It sounds like each song has its own theme and its own standalone content, and then as it moves to another song. That's the thing. You don't see the same form of continuity that maybe you would have seen in Good Kid, Mad City, or um, Damn, how that was structured, even to Pimp a Butterfly, right? It's almost like each song is poignant in this point, poignant in this theme, poignant in this vibe like that. Granted, you could say Damn was, but Damn had an entire theme as a structure, you know? It was was meant to be played either way, which uh, supposedly that's how this album is said to... um, be as well you know where you can play it in in a in a in the back order and it has a different feel to it the same way that damn does so clearly kendrick again is extremely intentional about uh about how everything is ordered in this sense so the songs that did hit hit for me i'm i find myself recently now trying to learn the words of new songs new kendrick stuff you know which is always fun to do it's just like that's part of the lyrical exercise. It's just trying to, you know, uh, get to know the words, and it gets more enjoyable in that way. Um, out of it's going to be a, a tough one to rate. It was cool to see Baby came on there on the Savior interlude. Not so crazy about the Savior song. My favorite song out of this is I uh, the United Grief is super dope. Father Time featuring Sampa is super super dope. Rich Spirit is dope. We Cry Together by Taylor Page. How about Taylor Page, son? Word. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she's getting her flowers as she should, bro. Like she she came with an amazing delivery, really made the song hit. Um, Kendrick is somebody who we know has the range to do two different voices and be both characters on the track. And the choice to include Taylor Page, I think, was one that definitely hit. Um, definitely a highlight from what I've seen in terms of people 
relating to it, man. And and, and that's good and bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sad so many people can relate to that that type of situation. But um, he does a lot of that on this album, man. He does a lot of that going into understanding the transitions that relatives go through uh, to understanding and, and coping with uh, abuse, to getting to know a parent and, and on the different levels that you get to know a person. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, it's mature content for sure. I'm glad it exists. I think there are very specific contexts in which I'll go back to it. But with that said, man, I'm, I'm, I, I hope I hope this doesn't mean because it's such a it's a it's such an intentionally deep project that Kendrick's only gonna do stuff like this for from now on. You know what I mean? Like this is this is really dope, but there's an element of me that still wants to hear Kendrick in hip hop. You know what I mean? That means on features. That means with producers that are making incredible beats. That means sometimes just rapping to show how good he can rap and not necessarily trying to heal the entire world with all of his with all of his raps. Um, but whatever creative space he's in, he makes amazing work. Um, I just hope we get to hear something a little bit. I'm 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 good. You've given it all to us, man. You've given us all the deep stuff. Give like I'm, I would be cool with something some light uh, on the next one. Go around, but. Miles wants Kendrick Lamar to be J. Cole. And oh, come everybody on. else. That's not that's true. That's not true. That's that not is, true. That, that's literally what you're asking for. You said I want him to, to make things that are not that are more toned down, a lot more features, presence yeah. in hip hop. That's that's Cole. I see how you could I see how you could say that. But I don't want him to tone down his because I think I think dot raps a lot better than Cole. Uh, so I think I'm not saying I want him to rap at the level that Cole raps or dumb down his ability to rap. I'm just saying that I think this this album is evidence that sometimes your subject matter, even for the greatest, if you're trying to do everything with your subject matter, sometimes you make something that isn't as in fun or doesn't have the same replay value. And now that he's done this, I'm glad we got this. I would like to see Kendrick go towards making the most enjoyable music that he feels like he can make, right? Enjoyable, right? Because I think he can do that amazingly. Uh, and I don't think that necessarily sounds like him being Cole, even if I would like to, for him to do what Cole does. I want him to That's do- That's what I meant. Yeah, like do a bunch of features, drop Lucy songs, actually drop, you know, albums every couple of years. But I don't want him to- be Cole or take on the exact subject matter that Cole takes on or yeah I don't need him to really, might, yeah it, it might not be subject matter bro but like if if this is the king and we're saying we want the king to do what this other dude is doing then who's the king though especially after this especially after this album there's a conversation that hip hop is right now just letting the letting the dust settle before they have it but like after this album, where do we put Cole and Kendrick? I'll put it like this, right? If Michael Jordan took a year off from basketball to play baseball, now regardless of what you think of his baseball career, just because Michael Jordan was playing baseball doesn't mean that whoever was still in the NBA playing 82 games was it like, you know what I mean? I'm not saying I want MJ to be like Scotty or Charles Barkley now because they're still in the NBA playing. 
I'm just saying I just want MJ to go back to the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Stop playing baseball. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, th- I think we, I think it might be too soon to have that conversation about who's the best, but I'll just say that right now. Um, a lot of people had Cole ready to get blown out of the water. Just I have a lot of people talking trash on Cole's name, smutting his name. But I think that um, after this, it's it's still way, way more closer than people want it to be. Even if you don't like Cole, you can't uh, you can't deny the man's presence in hip hop, his relevance, and his ability to continue to put out things that a lot of people like. No, no doubt, no doubt. Cole is Cole is huge, and Cole's Cole's at the top of the game, and at the top of a game that I want to see Kendrick compete more in. Kendrick is just doing his own thing, man. So this is dope. Hard to rate. Uh, Hard to rate. So I will rate it amongst Kendrick albums. For me, it is a good kid, and then to pimp, and then overly dedicated, and then. Damn, no, Section 80, this, damn, no, damn this, probably that. Yeah, I'd say that order too. So if we're putting it on the Kendrick Spectrums, it's uh, uh, not our favorite Kendrick album, but we we respect the king. I'll give him a a good, uh, actually, seven and a half out of five. Seven and a half, seven and a half out of ten. <laughs> so I was like, yes, give him a seven and a half out of five. Give him a Kendrick out of four hundred. <laughs> Kendrick out of four hundred is the official review of this album. We give it him one Kendrick out of four hundred, whatever's. <laughs> Big facts, uh, man. Back in the game, man. Show. Feels good. Give him a show. <laughs> shout out to the shout out to our producer, man, and shout out to uh, Delonte jumping into. The, the comments over there. Uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, yeah, man. Shout out to you for holding it down. Uh, shout out to Lalani for the computer. That's our technical, uh, you know, fucking, she's holding it down. So I appreciate that. I appreciate all the love of everybody who is out there, who has tuned in, who is hearing this right now. We do this because we know. We know. Shout out to our producer. We know. We know. There's too many podcasts. It's way too many, really. Like, it's like, it's a lot. You can scroll through, your thumbs will get tired. It's a lot of podcasts. You found ours. You could be anywhere in the world right now, but you tuned into us. And we are committed to carefully curating content for your cranium. This is a celebration of celebrating. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of how good it feels to be black. Don't it feel good, Zoe? Hey, man, my favorite thing. We hope it feels good to be you. We hope it feels good to be in the skin you're in. Uh, We hope that you stay safe. Um, We hope that you hug your loved ones, love yours, um, and find some fire music to listen to. Eat something delicious. Hug somebody you love. Like that. Peace. Water. We gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. But is we live, though? Is we live?